earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Good morning. I wonder if over the last couple of weeks, you've been giving any thoughts to the question of how you're going to handle the winter. How are you going to handle these next few months? Maybe it's been all that you've been thinking about, you know, uncertainty, things being uncomfortable, um, loneliness and darkness and that kind of thing. Or maybe actually you're kind of looking forward to it. You're one of those wintry people who loves to wrap up and who loves Christmas time and planning presents, who loves planting bulbs in the garden and looking forward to them growing or, I don't know, making chutneys and, and mince and, and setting it all side, uh, aside, waiting for cheese and crackers and mince pies at Christmas. Maybe you love this time of year. Well, I wanted us to, to spend a few minutes um, today looking forwards. A couple of weeks ago, we started looking backwards and kind of giving thanks to God for all that he's been to us and done for us. Today, I want us to look at Psalm 24 and find some truths that are going to help us as we look forward in these next few months. So let's do that. Psalm 24, if you've got it open with you, Sammy read it to us before. I want us to think of these three big truths I want us to see as bulbs that we're going to plant deep into our hearts and that God is going to, by his grace, by his goodness, help grow to become beautiful flowers, beautiful life-giving flowers in these next few dark months, like a, a good gardener, planting bulbs now. Let's plant some um, truth bulbs into our hearts and pray that God would help them to grow. So, okay, what are those things? I want us the first thing to see who we are. So we've got to recognise who we are. We're going to remember why we're here. And then we're going to look at an open door. Bit of a mysterious one to finish off. But okay, remember who you are. If you're a Christian, this is something maybe that you'll, you'll know already. It's something fairly basic, but it's something really mind-blowing. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This world is not an accident. You see, God made this world. Every last corner belongs to him and not just the planet, but the people on it. If you've seen the films, um, the Toy Story films, you'll know Woody. He's the cowboy. He's kind of one of the central characters. And on the bottom of Woody's boots is a name, the name of the boy who owns Woody. He's named Andy. It's kind of written there in permanent marker. That's who he belongs to. That's his delight, his kind of purpose, his reason for being is to be the favorite toy of Andy, his owner, to enjoy kind of games and fun with him. Well, do you know that you have your maker, your owner's name written into every part of your body, every cell, and every part of your life has his mark. I was at boarding school and my mum always used to, at the beginning of each term, sew in name labels um, to every single piece of my clothes. Well, do you know that you have God's 
name label, his name written into your life, absolutely every part of it, that you belong to him, that he made you for a purpose. Do you realise that, that you were made? That you aren't just some um, product of a fluke equation, you know, matter plus time plus chance, but you are actually made by God with a purpose. Well, what do you do with that truth? Well, if you're a Christian, especially, then you can rest in that truth. You can rest because you know that nothing surprises him, that his hands are around everything, that nothing is bigger than him. He owns this world. And so you can rest in his hands because he holds the future. You can also look around and receive this world, receive it gratefully with a thank you and then offer it back to him in worship. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the writers of kind of later books in the New Testament, he actually uses, quotes this verse and says that because God owns everything, then you can eat and drink. And in fact, whenever you do that, you should do it to his glory. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, because he made it all and he gave it to you. You can enjoy it all and give it back to him. That's kind of what we're here for, at least the first purpose. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, you should think about what you have. I've got my life and my time, my family, my car, my sofa, my this, my that. What we're supposed to do is turn that around and say, actually, those things aren't really mine. They're his, his life that's been given to me, his money that's been lent to me, his people who've been entrusted to me as my family, his sofa that's sitting in my lounge. And how can I use, do you see how that works? How do I use all of these things that he's given to me that really are his in the first place? for his glory. What does it mean to use things for his glory? Well, it means to, in the way that we use them, to reflect God so that other people see him more clearly, so that we use them to love God, uh, to love other people as God loves us. We use them to show his, his generosity and his kindness to us so that he's more clearly seen by everybody and everything in the world. See, he made us to live so that every footprint we leave has his name stamped on it. But there's more than just these first couple of lines in the psalm, aren't there? There's more than, our purpose is more than just worship and serving and honouring him, but we're supposed to seek him. You could put it like this. We're not just meant to bow down. We're meant to walk up to, to be at home with him. We're supposed to ascend, to live with him, to stand in his presence. That's the second, second thing I want us to see. This is really our big purpose in life, not just to, not just to serve God and um, and uh, live for him, but to live with him. We got there in the end. We're not just supposed to live for him, but with him. And where do I get that? That's in verse three, isn't it? This mountain of the Lord. It's like we kind of going from this Google Earth view, and then you're clicking on the postcode, and you're zooming in, that kind of dizzying thing that Google Earth does, all the way down to this mountain. And what's this mountain? Well, for David, it would have been the place that Jerusalem was built. Eventually, the temple was built and the temple was a place where God's presence in a really special way dwelt in the middle of his people. So this would have been a song that they sang when they were kind of dedicating the, the temple, um, taking up the Ark of the Covenant, if you've ever seen the Indiana Jones films or know your Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, that symbol of God's presence into the city of God. They would have sung that here, but it's, it's a picture of all of life. It's a, a poem that's saying that in all of our life, Everything is supposed to be organised around this hill. The whole of the world is supposed to be kind of orbiting around this place, this person, this presence, God's life with us. And what's it like? Well, it's full of blessing. It's a place where, this is in verse 5, where 
everything we most deeply and truly need is given to us. That's what blessing means. It's a place of righteousness or vindication. That means where, where we're completely seen and completely accepted, where everything wrong about us is put right, where we rightfully belong and nobody can move you from there anymore. That's what vindication and righteousness is about. That's what God's presence is and that's what you were made for, to know him and be close to him. So how do you get there? How do you make that your ambition, the centerpiece on the table of your life? Imagine a wedding table with all these beautiful things, but that centerpiece, flowers, whatever it is, is the most beautiful of all. Well, God's presence is supposed to be that in our lives. So how do we get there? How do we get to live in his presence and know that blessing and security of righteousness? Well, David tells us, you've got to have clean hands, as in you've got to do everything right in especially your relationships. You've got to, you've got to be clean in your hands. You've got to have a pure heart. Like Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. As in all your motivations and your reasons for doing those things you do with your hands have got to be pure. You've also got to be somebody who is not living a misdirected life. As in, this is the next, the next bit about not trusting in an idol or not lifting up your soul, your life to something that's false. That means not necessarily about kind of wood and stone and that kind of idols, but all of those things that we, that we orientate our lives to. These paths that we take that veer us off the mountain, away from God's presence, away from looking at him and, and kind of orientating our lives around him. They're not just blocks of stone and wood, like I said. It's maybe, I don't know, something like that longed-for relationship that just consumes all of your desires and hopes, or the hungry pursuit of wealth where you just never seem to have enough, or this desire for status where, where all you can think about is getting ahead of the other people, where your life is lived for anything that's inside this world as in where your whole life is directed to something that, that God has made, because the Psalms already told us that God made the world. And so to give ourselves completely to something that's in this world is it's betrayal, isn't it? It's a betrayal of the God who made us. It's what the Bible calls idolatry, and it's something really serious. So if you want to be a person who lives in God's presence, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? You've got to seek him. You've got to walk into his presence and live a, a Godward life where you're walking up that mountain towards him and nothing is stealing your heart to any other paths. And then the fourth one, you've got to have clean lips. What you say has got to be pure and good and right. And there's a fifth thing here as well. You've got to seek God. Maybe that's something that could sum it all up. You've got to be walking in the right direction, seeking him like Jacob did. You can read Jacob's story if you want to in Genesis 32, right at the beginning of the Bible. Story of a man who wrestled with God, as in literally. He wanted God to bless him. And he wrestled with him uh, until he did, until God stayed with him and, and was present with him through all of his life. That's what Jacob was looking for. And that's what David says we need to be looking for. If you want to be a person who lives out what you were made to do, who finds your purpose in life, well, this is it. To seek God, to dwell with him and live with him. And if you want to be that kind of person, well, pause a moment and think, am I really that kind of person who has clean hands and a pure heart and and doesn't walk on other paths, who has pure lips and is just always seeking God all the time, not just for what he can give to me, but I mean seeking him for him. There's a word in some of our translations that's um, selah. We don't know exactly what it means, but it's probably kind of a pause thing where maybe, I don't know, the guitars would go off on some solo and, uh, and you'd get a, some, um, a moment to pause and think. So let's pause and think, am I this person? If I'm made to live in God's world, 
Am I living as if God is God and I'm not? Am I living as if, as somebody whose hands are pure, as somebody whose life is and motives are pure, as somebody who's not walking on, on other paths? Because if I'm honest, I'm not. And, and David wasn't. I mean, David had blood on his hands. And I don't know about you, but this pandemic has brought out some stuff in my heart and my life that has just been really ugly. That I like to think that I'm a, you know, a good kid, but really I know I'm much more of a human wrecking ball much of the time. I wonder if you can relate to that. If you know, if you've seen stuff in yourself, especially over the last few months, maybe even the last couple of hours, that you've just been really disappointed with and you know your hands aren't clean, your heart isn't pure, you've been going after the stuff that you kind of want to walk on that mountain, but you just keep feeling like you're getting washed off by temptations or wandering off onto other paths or just keep getting discouraged by the fog of doubts and fears and you just want to sit down and give up. Or maybe it's just death that haunts you. Death that keeps us from walking up that mountain that cuts off the journey, that cuts it short forever. So if I can't make it up that hill, if David couldn't make it up that hill, if, to be honest, none of us, on our own can make it up that hill, then who on earth can? Well, have a look at verse seven. The psalm takes a really interesting turn, doesn't it? Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So somebody has, did you hear that? Reached the top of the mountain. Somebody's reached the door and is banging on it and saying, open up. Somebody's made it to the top and who is it? Well, it's not David. It's a king, but it's not David. It's a king of glory. It's the Lord. It's God himself. It's this character who's full of substance and weight and glory, like Jamie was saying last week. It's God himself marching up this hill and knocking on the door of his own home. And so what on earth is going on there? It's a strange thing, isn't it? Why is he coming home? Why is God coming home? Where has he been? What has he been doing off the mountain? That means he now has to come back home again. Well, David is looking through the centuries to another king, to Jesus. We've been seeing that in the last few Psalms, haven't we? In Psalm 22, a couple of weeks ago, David saw Jesus dying on the cross. And today, David has seen Jesus finishing that work after he rose again to new life, walking back into heaven. Can I read to you a few verses from, uh, from the New Testament? This is Philippians chapter two. It's a letter that Paul wrote. He said that Jesus being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but making himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, as a person like you or me, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, why is God off the mountain? It's because he came down to us. He came to live as one of us, to be with us, to be a person like you and me, but also not like you and me. I mean, read the stories, pick up one of the biographies of Jesus, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You'll find them about three quarters of the way through the Bible. Sometimes you can get them on your own. If you just Google them, Google Mark, that's probably the easiest one to start with. And just read the stories of Jesus and you'll see there's nobody like him who's ever lived. You'll see that he has clean hands in everything he does, pure motives in everything he does clean lips in everything he says and the whole time he's walking up that mountain always with his eyes fixed on his heavenly father on God living for him blazing a trail up the mountain 
But he's not just blazing a trail. Did you hear it in the psalm? He's fighting. He's the king of glory who's come back mighty in battle. He's won a victory. And what is he doing winning victories? What is he fighting? I mean, he's God. He's literally made everything. So what on earth could stand up to him that we need to fight it, to defeat it? What is he fighting? He's fighting our enemies. He's fighting all of those things that keep us in chains, that hold us from his presence, that keep us at the bottom of the mountain, far away from God. He's, he's defeating them at the cross. We I talked about that a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 22. You can go back and check out that sermon if you want to kind of explore it a bit more fully. But what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross was taking all of our failings away, all of our sins, all of our faults, and breaking the power of sin. It's as if sin has kind of kept us in chains, locking us at the bottom of the mountain. It's been like a flood that keeps washing us off. But Jesus comes and washes us clean and takes away all that sin. So that enemy is dead. It's gone. Its power's broken. And it's, it's as if he's, he's made it possible for us to walk through that flood of temptation on these stepping stones with, with his hand in our hand walking through temptation, we're able to say no to sin, that the enemy sin is defeated and we can be free of those chains of evil habits that just seem to seem to, to bubble up and, and show their face, especially when we go through hard times like the pandemic. Well, there's other, another enemy as well, and that's death. Jesus, when he died and rose again three days later, defeats death once and for all. Defeats death so that now... I mean, we still die, but we don't grieve. We don't grieve as we, as we did maybe before we met Jesus. If you're a Christian, I, I mean, if, you, if you're part of our church and you remember Gaz, you'll remember his funeral not too long ago. And you'll remember that there were plenty of tears that day, but that there was also this rock-solid hope. I wonder if you felt that. Do you remember that? This rock-solid hope and even joy as we knew that it won't be long before we see him again. I mean, literally see him again with our eyes. See him right and bright and clothed in immortality. Now that is victory, isn't it? We still die, we still go through hard times, but, but Jesus has defeated death and promised hope to everybody who follows him and serves him and walks with him up that mountain. Jesus has defeated all of these enemies. That's the victory that he won. That's him mighty in battle over even Satan himself, that kind of manifestation of evil in the world, who accuses us and tells us what we've done wrong, who tells us and lies to us, who says that God doesn't love you. He could never love you because of what you've done. Or who says that God doesn't really have your best interests at heart. He's just trying to spoil your life. Well, Jesus has ripped his teeth out. So now we can see that God loves us. He's even given his own son for us. What else would he keep back from us? He loves us. Of course he has our best interests at heart. He loves us and he's taken away all of our sins. So now Satan has nothing on us. No accusations. You see, all of our enemies, all of those things that keep us from the mountain, doubts and fears, temptations and sin, even death that cuts our journey short, really just brings us straight into his presence. You see, Jesus has won a great victory. And then he walked back up that mountain, knocked on that door, and they flung them open. The angels rejoiced and were like, is it really him? I mean, who is it? The king of glory? Who is this king of... It's Jesus, the king of glory, who's come back home forever. Do you know what he's like now? He's like an anchor. He's like an anchor that rests with God in his presence and throws his rope to us and pulls us in. 
who's actually does even better than that. If you just flick back to Psalm 23, you'll see he's a shepherd who's so secure now in heaven, who's defeated every, every wild animal enemy and is a shepherd who walks with us safely through even the valley of the shadow of death and brings us safely home. You see, Jesus, after his death and resurrection, went home and one day soon he'll bring us home with him too. Let me read you the next bit after what I read you earlier from Philippians 2. It says this, that after his death on the cross, God highly exalted him as and lifted him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, a king of glory, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So have you acknowledged that today? Do you know him? Have you heard him say, come and follow me? And have you felt him wrap his rope around you, wrap his arms around you, pick you up and bring you safely home? Do you know him? Well, if you do, then let me give you a couple of things we can do today. One is pack light. Whenever you come to Jesus, pack light. Come empty-handed. Don't come with stuff that you've got to try and impress him. Just come and receive his blessing. That was, and that was verse five, wasn't it? Come and receive blessing, receive his goodness, his righteousness, his cleanness wrapped around you like a like a clean dressing gown let him welcome you into his warm and comforting presence don't bring stuff in your own hands pack light come to him second thing live boldly jesus said to the disciples some of his last words all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me so go go and tell the world about me and baptize them bring them into the family of father son and holy spirit bring them into presence, to closeness, to belonging with the living God. So we should live boldly, going and taking that good news to anybody who'll listen to us, to anybody, because we know that he's made the world, he's got his hands wrapped around it, he'll keep us safe and take us safely home, so what could touch us? So come on, let's live boldly, strategically, courageously, creatively, doing whatever we can to persuade people to come and know Jesus and walk with him into his presence. And the last thing, take heart. If you're suffering, if you're struggling, know that Jesus has been there. Jesus has suffered with you, but he also suffered for you to break the power of every sad and harmful thing and to bring you through that one day. There's real hope, you know, in Jesus. In fact, there's hope only in Jesus. So if you're suffering, come to him, give it to him and let that shepherd pick you up and carry you home. But maybe you don't really believe this at all. Maybe this is a real strange stuff for you. A completely new story. Well, if that's you, well then, can I encourage you to do what I encouraged you to do before? To pick up the Bible or to go online and find Mark's gospel and just to read it for yourself. Come and take a look at Jesus who lived like nobody ever has, who died like nobody ever has, and who rose again like nobody ever has to break and wash away and clear away every power that would keep us from knowing him. Everything that keeps you from living for him, for being all that you can be as a person, for knowing your purpose and walking with him forever. Jesus has taken all of that away. Come and read that story of him. And maybe you could pray before you do that. Even if you don't believe in God, you could pray a kind of cheeky, honest prayer like this. You could say, God, I don't really think that you're there. But if you are, then would you show yourself to me as I read about this man who claimed to be your son? You could pray something like that and then read and see what you think of Jesus. Well, how are we going to make it through these next few months? We're going to remember who we are, made by God. We're going to remember what we're here for, to live for him and to live with him. 
And we're going to remember all that he's done to make that happen and put our hands into his, into the hands of the good shepherd who died for us, who promises to carry us home. Amen.